Ron's Atari and his nickname is Zoe. Within an hour and you could say 36 minutes, they were out there, they found my son. That quick. That told me something right there. They were hiding my son. I know they were hiding my son. And I'm pretty sure someone's going to come out and say something, what really happened. And I know we will get answered this time. And I know I'll get justice. I just know someone out there knows what happened to my son. Everybody say your heart hurts every day. No, my heart don't hurt. It's just my stomach hurts. My heart hurts too, but it's mostly my stomach that hurts more. You know, it's just like, you know. One thing's for sure about this case is that it's a case shrouded in secrets and whispers. I feel like someone at that party knows something. But doesn't want to come forward. I don't believe he drowned. Theory is they tied him to a truck and dragged him. Could be how his shoes and hat ended up where they did. It kills me to think 16 years later, nobody would have been eaten up by that guilt and come forward. How would that knowledge not weigh on you? Probably the kids who did this have their own families and stuff like that. Went on with their lives and made peace with this being a grave mistake from their youth. I don't believe everyone from that party has kept quiet for so long. People are covering for their kids. This is a hate crime. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained. It's Sunday morning, April 4th, 2004. Someone calls Maria Ramirez's house looking for 23-year-old Alonzo Brooks. And that's when Maria first realized that her son didn't come home last night. And she began to worry, because this was highly uncharacteristic of him. Maria and Alonzo's friends start calling around and asking everyone if they had seen him. And when she couldn't make contact, Maria knew she had to head to the police station. However, the officer at the station told her that she needed to wait at least 48 hours before she filed her report, which is pretty consistent with these types of cases. The worst part about this is everyone knows 48 hours is the most crucial part. It's the most crucial time of a search. And it's just funny to me that it's just standard to wait 48 hours after someone goes missing. Maria calls Alonzo's best friend, Rodney English, who still lives in Topeka, Kansas, and asks if he has seen Alonzo and brings him up to speed on what's going on. And as a concerned friend, Rodney heads to Gardner, Kansas, where Alonzo is from, where he meets up with Alonzo's friends and they head to a town called Lacine, where that party had taken place the night before. Now, Lacine is a predominantly white town located about an hour outside of Gardner, Kansas, where Alonzo and his family live. It's a much more rural area than Gardner as well. 
They were hoping he was just passed out somewhere, after maybe having a little too much to drink. Although nervous because racial slurs and threats were aimed at Alonzo during the party. This was so evident that U.S. Attorney Steve McAllister had to address it in the local news conference. There are numerous reports from those who attended of fights breaking out during the party, sometimes described even as brawls. There are also reports of racist comments being made. Okay, so we're all on the same page there. That definitely happened. And also, an absolute fact, is that Alonzo was one of the only black men at the party that night, and some witnesses said it was evident that some had a problem with that. So the men are going to revisit the country house that sits way off the main road with the long driveway and the big yard, the place that the party took place the night before. Now the men I'm speaking of are three of Alonzo's friends from Gardner. Their names are Justin Sprague, Daniel Foon, and Tyler Brohard. And also a fourth gentleman, Rodney English from Topeka, who was Alonzo's childhood friend. So in front of the house are acres of cleared farm fields, and behind the house is a creek that runs down and makes a swift turn right behind the house, heading away from the house. The creek has thick woods on each bank. The guys look up and down the long driveway, then cross over the road to look along the tree line on the other side. Here, they found the boots and hat belonging to Alonzo. Or rather, Rodney spotted them. About the time that Rodney is at the end of the road and he, and he spots these boots and this hat, a man rode up on a four-wheeler coming from the direction of the house. And he told Rodney and the rest of uh, the gentlemen there that they had to leave. And Rodney said it was then that he knew something was really wrong. You see, Rodney knew his friend. He grew up with Alonzo back in Topeka. Alonzo was born and raised in Topeka, Kansas. He was the youngest of five children. His mother, Maria Ramirez, was Hispanic, and his father, Billy Brooks Sr., was a black man. The family landed in Gardner, Kansas, where Alonzo grew up and graduated from high school. And he remained in Gardner until that horrible night in April in 2004. Let's go through those events. This is what we know. On Saturday, April 3rd, 2004, Alonzo lets his mom know he was going to a party with friends and that he would see her later. He hugs her and tells her goodbye. Maria had no idea that that was the last time she would see her son alive. Alonzo met up with friends, Justin Sprague, Daniel Foon, and Tyler Brohard, and they headed to La Cine for a party. It was a town about an hour away like I mentioned earlier. Allegedly, this party was for a guy that was going off to service. When they arrived at the party, all was going well for the first hour. The guys were mingling and playing cards, drinking games, and having a good time. Alonzo even was the life of the party when he showed up. He showed up with a case of beer because he was one of the people at the party that was a, was of legal age, Alonzo was 23. Uh, the average age at the party, most of the guests said between 16 and 22. 
So Alonzo was one of the older people there. And it's a funny story, like he arrived and he was like, who wants a beer? Totally trying trying to make friends, start off on the right foot. Um, but we'll see how that goes. So there were a handful of people at the party from Gardner that Alonzo and his friends knew. But for the most part, it was all locals from Lacine that Alonzo did not know. Daniel ended up breaking up a disagreement between Alonzo and an unidentified man at the party where racial slurs and physical threats were aimed at Alonzo, like we said earlier. It's not clear what started this disagreement, but some witnesses claimed it was because Alonzo was getting a little too friendly with a white girl at the party. Daniel claimed both men walked away and nothing else ever came of it, and that Alonzo went back to smiling and having fun. His friends said that he was not the type to let this type of thing get him, to, to get the best of him. And growing up in small town USA, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Alonzo probably faced this type of prejudice often. So he, that is tr- probably true. He probably was used to shrugging this off. But Daniel and Tyler left the party after only about an hour because they heard of another party that they wanted to hit. Justin stayed at the party a while longer. Now, at this point, it's very important to let you know that Alonzo rode with Justin to the party. So, at least my opinion, that Alonzo is Justin's responsibility at this point. Okay? And I think Justin felt that responsibility so far. Okay? So, Justin stayed at the party a while longer. Later on in the night, he and Alonzo had both run out of cigarettes. So Justin decided to make a trip to the store and grab more. However, being an hour away from home, he got lost. Justin claims he was not able to find his way back to the party, and so he called their friend Adam, who was also at the party, and asked that he give Alonzo a ride home. Justin said he heard Alonzo in the background teasing him for getting lost. And with that, he made his way back to Gardner, thinking Alonzo was getting a ride home. It was not explained in detail anywhere, but for some reason, Adam had left, thinking Alonzo had already gone. Not sure how that happened, but one way or another, they missed each other. Now, this there's a lot of speculation around this. Uh, we don't really know who this Adam character is. I don't think we even have a last name. Um, But either way, this whole situation seems fishy. Um, It was said that Adam looked for Alonzo when it was time for him to leave, and he looked all over the house, the property, and he couldn't find him, allegedly. And so Adam left. I'm guessing Adam was also from Gardner. So. So although there were many interviews done and many witnesses questioned, No one saw what happened to Alonzo. It was as if he just vanished. So the only black guy at the party just vanished and nobody noticed. So we know what happens next. That following Sunday, everyone's calling around trying to find Alonzo. To no luck. Then his friends go back to the property. They find his boots and his hat. Now the following Monday, April 5th, Billy Brooks Jr., who is Alonzo's older brother, and his wife Cindy head to Lacine to get in touch with the homeowner where the party took place. Uh, 
He states that the property was a rental that had previously been rented by four men, and they had since been evicted. In two days, right? It's crazy. They went to the property and took a look around. The house was empty. So maybe this does give a little bit of weight to them being evicted. Maybe they were going to be evicted anyways. Everything was already moved out, and they're like, let's have a party and trash the house. We don't have to clean it up. We're being evicted anyways. Sounds like a thing that four young men would do if they were about to leave a place anyways, right? And Cindy and Billy Brooks Jr. both stated that the house looked empty, like there's no way that there was a big party there just two days before. And they stated this um, in the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, where they were interviewed. It's called No Ride Home. Uh, It's a new episode on Netflix of Unsolved Mysteries. I highly suggest you check that out. Um, Very thorough on this case, but at the same time, just scratching the surface. But I understand that their hands are tied, as well as mine in this podcast. You're going to hear allegedly a lot. You're going to hear theory a lot. You're going to hear hearsay, but that's just that's just what it is around this case right now. So coming up empty-handed again, the Brooks family decided to head to the police station where they had a meeting with the sheriff and begged him to start the search for Alonzo. On April 7th, the case was handed over to the Kansas Bureau of Investigation and a search of the area was conducted with scent tracking dogs and a helicopter. By April 10th, the FBI had joined in the efforts to find Alonzo, and on April 12th, the creek behind the party house is searched by the underwater rescue and dive team. Nothing was found by the search teams. Nothing. No clothing, no leads, no, no, no evidence whatsoever. And at, now the Brooks family is growing more and more concerned So they asked to join in on the search for Alonzo, but they were told no by the sheriff. But eventually on May 1st, 27 days after Alonzo first went missing, the family was finally allowed to visit the area and do their own search. So the Brooks siblings, along with their uncle Edward Ramirez and a handful of other friends and family, went to search the area. They first met and talked about the areas they were searching and how they were going to divide into teams. One team was sent over to look around a small shed that laid near the creek edge. Upon making their way over to it, one of the volunteers spotted something. Already. She looked up, and just on the other side of the creek, laying on the bank, there was Alonzo. Within 36 minutes of arriving, the family had found Alonzo, laying in plain sight in the area where the teams had searched with divers and dogs just a few weeks before. Eric Mitchell had the tough job of finding out what happened to Alonzo as the area's forensic pathologist. According to Dr. Mitchell, there was very little to go on. Alonzo was fully clothed, all but his shoes and hat found earlier in the investigation. He still had his wallet and all possessions on him, and they were all still intact, which seems very odd for a body that has, quote, been in water for almost a month. Although Dr. Mitchell claimed the condition of the body was consistent with being in the water for 30 days. There were no physical signs of how Alonzo died. There were no gunshot wounds. There were no stab wounds. There was no proof of drowning. 
and conveniently the soft tissue of his neck was gone, which would be used to identify if he was uh, strangled or suffocated. But it had been gone by animals and elements according to forensic testing. But it was still possible he was strangled. But, like I said, there was no proof. So the cause of death remained undetermined. Dr. Mitchell could get little insight into what happened to Alonzo before or after his death. Also, you might want to look up Dr. Mitchell. Reddit would be a great place to start. Go to Reddit, search Alonzo Brooks, Dr. Mitchell. This guy, he's had a little bit of a checkered past. Um, that's, no, that's no secret. He was an Emmy a medical examiner in Syracuse, New York, and some things uh, allegedly went down. So I'll let you guys do your own research for that. But interviews were conducted with everyone that the police could find, but no one saw anything. Others were given polygraph tests, but with no results. There were never any suspects named in Alonzo's case. Years went on, no clues came to light. The Brooks family was sure that someone had harmed Alonzo intentionally, then hid him, one way or another, and then they dumped him on that creek bed for his own family to find. The police and the Brooks family suspected heavily that the motive behind Alonzo's murder was racially motivated. But sadly, in March of 2019, the KBI notified the Brooks family that the case into Alonzo's death was being closed due to a lack of evidence proving a crime was committed. However, the FBI has reopened the investigation into Alonzo's death and whether Alonzo was the victim of a racially motivated crime. And they are offering an enticing reward of $100,000 in hopes that it will bring witnesses forward. They are also considering exhuming Alonzo in hopes of finding new clues. There's also an FBI tip line that you can call at 1-816-512-8200. That's 1-816-512-8200. Okay, so now you've heard the facts. You've got the groundwork, right? You understand what the official story is, at least according to the Unsolved Mysteries uh, documentary and most articles. But where this case really starts getting interesting is in chat rooms, of course. You guys got it. Reddit, Twitter, Facebook. Now, of course, this whole next section comes with a big old asterisk, allegedly. Okay? It's all allegedly. This is just theories. This is nothing that you can't find out yourself or you can go read yourself. I'm going to keep these names and these families um, anonymous, but you can look these things up yourself if you want names. But I don't want to uh, be sued. So here we go. This was on Reddit, okay? This is a post about some people of interest in the small town of Lacine. Um, there are a couple brothers, okay? These brothers' names pop up in most all the comments, almost all of the blogs, um, almost every forum, chat, 
post about Alonzo Brooks that you can find these brothers' names show up. So I thought it was noteworthy to mention this. And is the only reason that I am mentioning it is because these names show up so prolifically. So I'm going to give you details and you will be able to put this together. But it's rumored that they helped perpetrate the murder because one of their female relatives had some interaction with Alonzo at the party. It's also stated in the comments that these brothers were heard bragging that they used a hunting dog shot collar to torture a person of color at some point. That is, uh, in parentheses, they put unclear if this was Alonzo. Additionally, this family owned a local restaurant and is rumored that is where Alonzo's body was stored prior to it being dumped. Now, while these brothers were much older than the majority of the partygoers, many commentators, or commenters rather, um, have stated that it would not be uncommon to find these men at a party at which high school and college age people were present. Even further, apparently members of the family seem to have served on the city council or commission or something and are still to this day prominent members of the community. Now, this woman, this girl who is part of this family, is rumored to be the girl that Alonzo Brooks had an interaction with that night, which is allegedly the inciting event of the murder. Now, there is another woman who is a niece of these brothers and has been alleged to have drunkenly bragged about her uncle's involvement in the murder. And there is one other man that is rumored to be involved most often, and he is the son of a local judge. So, mm, this is this is some heavy stuff. It seems like these families are very powerful families in Lacine, families that have been around a long time, uh, families with roots in a small town. As many of us know, growing up in uh, in or around small towns, you kind of get the idea of how they work. Everybody knows everybody. There's certain people who have clout. There's certain people who know the right people. And there's certain families that uh, tend to prosper. And so that's something that should seriously be looked into when looking at this case. You can't look into the Alonzo Brooks case and not hit forums. You, you got to hit, hit Reddit. Start with Reddit. There's great links there always, right? Here's another post that I found from, um, this is a local from a town called Payola. Kansas, okay? But this person said that they stayed in Lacine every summer. So this is, quote, We all heard the whispers about how the kids killed him for showing up mouthy and black. I was surprised how the documentary never mentioned the old Lacine motto. Quote, If you're black, don't let the sun hit your back. End quote. I'm still quoting the post, though. That was just the motto. The post goes on to say, Everyone knew this motto, in all caps, for several towns over, for years, long before this murder. No one I spoke to about this case ever questioned whether this was a murder. They only questioned why he would go there in the first place. 
Of course, there was a ton of cover-up and piss-poor investigation work. They protect their own down there, guilty or not. Police wouldn't have allowed a family member to go to prison for a murder of an outsider, especially one of color. End quote. So, that's tough. That's very tough to read. Um... Also, later on, there's some post about how Lacine is a, quote, unquote, sundown town. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's a town known for disposing of minorities after dark, which is just awful. God, it's just like, I, I can't believe that's still something that we're dealing with in this day and age. Now, this is just, this is allegedly, okay? But the term sundown town is a real thing. I am not saying that Lacine is a sundown town. Please don't misunderstand me. That is, that was from a post from somebody on Reddit. Please don't misunderstand that. But the fact that sundown towns exist at all is just heart-wrenching. And it's clear to see why this case is being reopened by the FBI. At least to me. And I'm glad that this Unsolved Mysteries has kind of has boosted this fame of this case. It should be. This should be a case that is being talked about. This should be a case that's, that's, that's being studied and, and we should be demanding answers for this. This is, this is unacceptable. All the people at the party, all the whispers you see online, it's just, it's more than what you typically see for a case like this. That's, that's the first thing I noticed. Most unsolved cases, yeah, go go hit go hit Reddit, go hit Twitter. You're gonna find stuff, right? You're gonna find a lot of theories, you're gonna find a lot of this. But with this case, you just find so much consistency among all of these quote unquote wild theories. There's just so many so much consistency. There's so much I heard them say this, and I well, I also heard that. I heard this, I heard that too. This lines up with that. And you kind of start to put this puzzle together rather quickly. Now, I'm not placing blame on anybody. I left most names anonymous on purpose. But this is not information that anyone with a computer can't find out. And I encourage you to look into this case. See if there's anything you can do. If you live in the area, how? How can you take the guilt of this if you know something that happened? Not to mention there's a $100,000 reward. So I, I feel like this case is going to be soft. There's just too much left on the table. There's just too much, too much sketchy things in the initial investigation. Not to mention the, uh, the, med the retired medical examiner that they used for this case in his past. So there's a lot, and, that, and that's some heavy evidence right there, right? Because it, it didn't seem that important to me at first when I'm watching the episode and I hear his report and he's, he's basically uh, debunking everything that the family's saying, right? So it shows, it shows a clip of Alonzo's mother and she's going through the things in his pockets and she's laying them out on the bed and she's saying, look, this is not damaged. This is not damaged. Here's a piece of paper that you can still read. Have you ever put paper in water? And have you ever left it there for 30 days? It's going to deteriorate and fall apart. You're not going to be able to hold it, much less read it. 
it's just everything. His bandana, his uh, his uh, credit cards, everything. His wallet, his money, everything was was fine. It wasn't sitting in water for 30 days. And that's evident. But yet, medical examiner states that his body is consistent with being in a creek bed for 30 days. Not bloated. No skin discoloration. Something's not right there. Right? I don't have to spell it out for you guys. Something's not right there. So, with that, let's check in this week with Lorne and... uh, Let's see what side of the fence he's on with this thing. In this week's Lauren Synopsis. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the murder of Alonzo Brooks, which has been featured on the newly revamped Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix right now. So good, so well done, and it's bringing a lot of attention to a case that's 16 years old and needs to be solved. It needs to, there needs to be some closure to this. Somebody from that party has to talk. It's amazing to me no one has talked yet. Um, Alonzo was at a party in Lacine, Kansas, a very small town with apparently no diversity. Apparently they'd never seen a black kid before and they had to felt the need to, uh, mess with him. Um, on the night of April 3rd, 2004, when, uh, Alonzo went to this party with some friends, he was having a good time minding his own business and some, uh, some kids apparently started messing with him. He was nearly in a fight before his friends, left him, uh, one of his friends left to go get cigarettes for him and Alonzo apparently and got lost. He, this must eat at him to this day. It must be hard to sleep thinking about how he left his friend there. And eventually his friend was killed by these douchebags. Um, 22 year old Alonzo and a group of friends went to this party in rural Kansas. He ended up being the only black guy among the, uh, crowd that was described by a bunch of rednecks and cowboy types with one of whom he almost fought while his friends were still there. So they already knew, his friends knew that there was some beef going on. It's just still, I mean, I feel bad for them on one hand. You know, I know there's been a lot of criticism thrown their way about how could you leave him there. Um, it sounds to me like he wanted to keep hanging out. He was having a good time as far as the the friends that left earlier and then the one friend that was supposed to drive him home got lost. So it may have just been an innocent mistake that happened and it eats, like I said, probably still eating to eating at them to this day. Um, he vanished after the party. Police initially thought he was lost um, as he was drunk, but this, but his hat and his boots were later found on the side of the road. Uh, not far from the barn house. The barn house was apparently like a rental, um, and the kids who were renting it basically uh, ended their agreement with the renter shortly after the party. The house was cleaned up to an like in an eerie fashion. Like it was uh, the family of Alonzo went to this farmhouse the next day when they couldn't find him. And they were surprised that there was this big party the night before. That that kind of creeped me out. That tells me that there was multiple people involved. If this huge party was cleaned up, they cleaned it up for a reason. They cleaned it up because they knew that a man was murdered that night. Um, his family 
uh, kept pressuring the police who did a search. They had the KBI come out, the Kansas Bureau investigation come out. They did a search with dogs of the full property. Um, they even had a dive team come out and search this uh, creek that was back behind the farmhouse. They weren't able to find anything. And after a month, uh, they were still pressuring the police and they said, you know what, you can come out and, and do your own search if you want. And within 30 minutes, the family finds the body of Alonzo Brooks, their son, their brother, on the, the side, the like basically along the uh, creek's edge. His body is there. It doesn't appear as though he's been in water. Um, there's no apparent, according to the uh, medical examiner, there was no apparent damage or no sign of murder. However, that does, he, the, he was not ruling it out, but there was no sign of trauma. There was no sign that he was shot or bludgeoned. Um, it was, he said it was impossible for him to tell whether he'd been strangled. It was possible. Um, but the tissue was having him, him being, uh, decomposing for almost a month. It was his neck muscles and, uh, tendons were apparently deteriorated at that point too much to tell whether he was strangled. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether he's been put in a freezer apparently, and kept in there, that made no sense to me. If you are trying to, if you kill someone, right, whether it was an accident or not, and you want to get away with this crime, why the hell are you going to freeze the person, freeze the body, and then place it along the river? Why are you going to try and preserve the body? You want it to decompose. You want less evidence, right? That made no sense to me. And also the whole idea of somebody had moved the body away, kept the body away from the family or away from the police and then put the body back a month later at the same location. Where do you think everyone's going to search? You know that they're going this, this property is going to continue to be searched over the years. Why would you bring the body back there when you could take the body anywhere? You could bury the body somewhere else. You're in rural Kansas, for God's sakes. You could take it out to the middle of a field and bury him. To me, it just it made no sense. I think the body was there the whole time, and I think the police did a terrible job searching for him. I, I don't. I, to me, it just blows my mind that they weren't able to find his body when the family found it within 30 minutes. When they had dogs, they had a search team, they had divers, they had everything to their disposal, apparently, and they didn't find him. It, it, so many things bother me about this case. Um, the biggest thing, though, still, is that no one talked. How is no one from this party talked? How is no one from this small town when you know gossip has got to be running rampant in this town? There's a, like in 2010, the population was only 1,100. Everyone has to know what happened, and no one is saying shit. It just it, it boggles my mind. Um, and it's clearly, as I said, a hate crime, and it's a shame because he seemed like a good dude who was just out to have a good time, you know. And because of the color of his skin, he was targeted. And uh, it's happened all too many times throughout history. And, and, and uh, I hope whoever killed this kid, whether it was one person, five people, whoever it is, they need to be brought to justice. And I think it's happening sooner than later because of this newly revamped Unsolved Mysteries that's now on Netflix. I think it's getting a ton of attention. I saw an article posted today, actually by TMZ. I can't stand TMZ, but they just posted a uh, an article about Alonzo Brooks and how there's new leads that are trickling in that are promising as to maybe the people of this town, now that it's a big deal again, this case is getting a bunch of attention, maybe someone's finally going to talk and expose who did this. So that's all we can hope for. That's my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. Hope you enjoyed my thoughts on it, and I'll see you next week. All right. Excellent synopsis, as always, Lorne. 
Thank you very much for that. Um, real quick, I want to touch on the fact that people do put a lot of pressure on his friends that he rode there with. Um, in particular, Justin, the guy that he rode with. Um, you will notice that too when you're when you're looking through forums and looking through chat rooms on this on this case. You're going to notice a lot of heat goes Justin's way. Um, and I was very skeptical of him as well, mainly because of the the way that he carried himself on the on the Unsolved Mysteries episode. Um, and then some stuff just seems fishy. Like you went out, you went out of the driveway and you went the wrong way and all, and you got lost and blah, blah, blah. And you decided to just go get cigarettes and go home or whatever you, you did. I just, that all sounded really fishy to me at, at the beginning. Um, but when you think back, Justin and the other two boys that went with Alonzo, that's, that's exactly what they were. They were just boys. They were between 16 and 18 years old. Alonzo was 23. So if Alonzo said he wanted to stay at the party, he's a grown-ass man. These these 16-year-olds aren't going to be like, hey, I think we need to get you home. Right? They're, they're in no position to tell Alonzo what to do or, you know, how how to be or whatever or when to leave at that. So... um, and we've all made terrible decisions as teenagers. We all have. I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm not saying that there's no possible way that the friends weren't involved. I'm just saying that as a teenager, 16, 17, 18, you've been drinking, you've been partying. Um, there's just not a lot of foresight there to, to think about the future or to even consider other people, um, uh, other people's situations much less that someone um, may cause some racial tension at a party or something like that, especially because all three of these, these friends that went with him are white. They, they were white, so they blended in fine. They didn't notice anything different, and Alonzo was not one to let it bother him. So these, these friends, out of sheer ignorance, could have just left him there. And that's... That's a possibility. All right, guys. So that's the case of Alonzo Brooks. Like I said, I encourage you to watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode, No Ride Home, and also do some research for yourself. Look up these names. Check this out. Spread this case around because this case can be solved. It's just no one's trying. I mean, aside from the FBI, thank you, finally. Um, but they need help. They need something hard evidence to go on. They they need something going on. So that's the case, guys. I hope you I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope that it, um, it to be honest, I hope it uh, fueled a, a fire of rage inside of you, and and you want to you want to spread this story. You want to spread this story, and you want answers like the rest of us. Because watching that watching that documentary, watching that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, it. It brought me to tears, honestly, just hearing from Alonzo's mother and from the rest of his family, such a close family. It was tough. It was, it's tough. And it's, all, it's always tough, those, those shows, and when someone's missing and you have no closure. But this one in particular, because so many people know what happened. All right? All right, guys. Um, if you like Strange and Unexplained and you want more content, 
patreon.com slash podcast. Guys, there's two other shows that I do on there. One is called The Palate Cleanser. Um, kind of helps you free your mind, maybe think outside the box, maybe learn something. Uh, there's only one rule for that, and it's no true crime allowed, okay? So it's palate cleanser. Cleanses your brain so you can go to sleep and sleep like a baby, right? And then also I got another show called Strange Shorts. Strange Shorts is where I take a case or an interesting uh, time in history. Mo- those are crime-related, um, but there's just not enough there for a full 30 to 40-minute episode, even though I most of the time ramble for 30 minutes plus. <laughs> so that's patreon.com slash podcast. And speaking of, I want to uh, give a shout-out to a couple new patrons that I've had in the last week. Uh, big shout-out goes to Cecilia Wright and Matthew Orozco. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show, especially in these early stages. Um, a lot more to come, and I promise you I will make the Patreon experience worth it. Also, another way that you can help the show, if you can't afford the monthly donation, um, no big deal. But, now it's not just a donation, right? You are getting things for it on Patreon. So you're getting extra content, you get early releases, and you also, um, if you're on the $5 tier, you get the Strange and Unexplained um, exclusive Patreon sticker, as well as access to anything video that I put up on the Patreon. So, but another way to help the show is to leave a review. Leave a review, tell some friends, uh, download, subscribe, all of that good stuff. So I want to give a big thanks to two people who left reviews in the last week. Uh, Jessica120806 left a five-star review, said, love it. I found this after another podcast I listened to mentioned it, and I love it. I have been binging at work. I will now have to switch over to your other one. Thanks for what you do. My other one being True Crime Guys. In case you didn't notice above the title, this is True Crime Guys production. If you did not find this through, through True Crime Guys, awesome. Go check out True Crime Guys, an awesome podcast that I do with my friend Lauren, who you heard in the synopsis. Um, it's a crime podcast as well, different format. We mostly just discuss and go back and forth. We Sometimes we disagree on theories. Um, there's some good discussion. There's some tasteful jokes. No jokes at the victim's expense, nothing like that. Um, we've learned our lesson through the years, and I think we've found a nice little niche that we fit into as far as that goes. But I also want to give a big thanks to River and Robert907. says, love this edition. You guys truly make the best content I've found on here. The format, your excellent sense of humor, plus your choice of cases is a superb combo. Your style and creativity is untouchable. Thank you very much. Um, there's a lot of creative podcasters out there, a lot of people who inspire me. Um, but I really appreciate that very, very much. We put a lot of time and effort into the creativity, um, into the production of these shows. And so it's always nice to get that appreciation. Thank you very much. Guys, if you have a suggestion for a case or, um, for an episode or for a series of episodes or, um, or even for, if you're a Patreon member and you got something that's funny and maybe it's local and it's a little something strange, shoot it to me and I'll do one or do a strange short on it or whatever. But you can hit me up on social media at SNU podcast, Sandu podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and strange and unexplained on Facebook. So guys, if you have a problem finding the episode on any, um, platforms, 
You can always just search True Crime Guys. It's a little easier to uh, to search, a little more common, and uh, the podcast should pull up as well. So, all right, guys, that's pretty much it for my rant. I want to thank you for listening, as always. And uh, remember, be strange. Just don't be a stranger. <laughs>